We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup, bringing you a significant soup each month along with culture, cooking, and conversation. Audio nourishment for both the heart and mind. I like that so much. (laughs) On April 22nd, the world celebrated Earth Day. People everywhere were reminded to do their part to defend the planet from climate change. Some organizations have even started calling April Earth Month. Henceforth, Brian, this episode is titled Earth Soup. You know, Tave, this month it's all about sustainability. Mm -hmm. First, we're going to be talking to Molly Dice, co-creator, as you know, of Trackers Earth, the Portland organization. They're devoted to teaching children and adults alike nature connection and authentic outdoor skills. And we're really lucky because Josh Anderson, a member of the First Nation Lillawat tribe and a representative of the Squamish Lillawat Cultural Center in Whistler, British Columbia, has agreed to share with us his people's time-honored traditional respect for the earth. Peace, Love, and Soup Theater returns with a performance of The Field Trip, an original comic created by Trackers Earth. Stay tuned for that. And we head out to forage around the city of Portland, Oregon. My first forage experience. (laughs) It's going to be so fun. We're going to be looking for ingredients to make this month's bowl of love, stinging nettle, and dandelion soup. Let's celebrate what the earth gives us. All this and musical soundscapes. What more could one human need? Perhaps peace, love, and soup? Always peace, love, and soup. Always. Earth Day and every day, there are simple ways we can all make a difference to counter climate change. One of them would be to cut down or, if possible, stop using disposable plastic. There's just tons of plastic. Mm. We make bottles and bags and all sorts of things that... That end up in the landfill or end up in our sea. And then in our animals and, if we eat animals, in our own bodies. I know people talk about going vegetarian as one really great way to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for those of us that don't feel like they can give up meat entirely, you were telling me about Meatless Monday. Let's hear about that. Oh, right. I saw that on earthday.org. And basically, you just have to make a pledge to give it up on Mondays, Meatless Monday. Eating less animal protein is better for you. And better for the earth. And as the Dalai Lama says, he is half vegetarian because he eats meat every other day. Mm, Smart man. We'd like to welcome to the studio Molly Dice, educator, blogger, mother, and friend. My first introduction to Trackers was nearly a decade ago while working on the documentary Play Again. Soon after, my eldest daughter got involved and is still a part of the Trackers community. Thanks for being with us today, Molly. Thanks for joining us today, Molly. Yeah, um, my name is Molly Dice. I work with Trackers Earth. I grew up uh, not necessarily knowing that there was this group of people interested in wilderness survival skills, but my passion came from reading books like the Little House on the Prairie books. Through the adventure of the kids in it, they actually taught you real skills. My Side of the Mountain with relationships to tanning his own hide and finding food to eat. It was all in there from a pretty easy to access way as a kid. Interesting. Definitely. I really appreciated uh, self-sufficiency skills, uh, cooking, gardening, being alone in the woods, having that confidence to go outside with my pocket knife and a pack of birthday candles and some matches, my cats trailing behind me, and we'd see what we could find. A lot of it for me actually did revolve around what you could eat in nature. I didn't know as much about wild edible plants at that point, but we'd be outside for hours 
picking blackberries, the Oregon wild iris and wild roses and daffodils and those kinds of plants which aren't indigenous to the area, but were brought in by pioneers. So there was that remnant of pioneer living that was left behind. When I was younger, my grandparents lived out past Labish, north of Salem. My sister and I, we would spend all day out in the cherry orchards and peach orchards, just climbing around in the filbert trees, digging holes. And then when we'd get hungry, you always had something to eat. It was a fun thing. My dad grew up in southeast Alaska, so we did a lot of fishing and uh, being connected with the landscape when we went up and visited. My grandmother did wild plant harvesting for foods because they didn't get a lot of fresh produce. All the produce came up on the barges and it was mostly canned, so people up there did a lot of hunting and living off the land. That's a pretty picture. We have some other visitors in our studio today. We have Annie and Maxine. That just reminds me of your wonderful blog and the different posts that you've had on youth foraging. Maybe you would talk a little bit about that from a mother's perspective. For me personally, it is easy to sit inside on the computer and do work and not take the time to go outside, but you can't do that when kids are around. I don't want them to see me on the computer all day long, then they think that's okay. I want them to be outside running around. And one thing that really motivates them is being able to nibble on things. It's a fun thing to do. Their confidence level when they go outside is great. Every day they're going further, they're wanting to do more. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's rainy or cold, and they know when their favorite wild edibles are growing and where to find them, and they just run along with fistfuls of the stuff and eat them. So that's really great to see. Um, One thing that you want to do with kids or adults is make sure you have a really proper identification. We will point out anything that's a toxic lookalike or even just toxic plants, and we say, I don't want you picking this, but this is something you can pick. What are some things that you might find this time of year that you particularly like? A few of my favorites, oxalis, which is also called wood sorrel, or we call it sour grass. It's a bright, vibrant green three leaf, almost like a clover, but it grows in wooded areas. They have a really sour flavor, almost like a green apple. Mm. Also right now, the dandelion are coming up. That's one of my favorite. You can eat the leaves, you can eat them raw, put them in the salad, you can saute them up, add butter and garlic and all those good flavors. And you can also pick the flower and eat it raw. Uh, You can batter it and make a fritter dandelion wine and Mm -hmm. those lots of really fun ways to do dandelion. I just remember as a kid I had to cut a large lawn and those dandelions I didn't know I could have eaten them all these years. Right. (laughs) Nature's providing stuff for young and old alike for all sorts of palates. Yeah absolutely and talk about different flavors. The dandelions have this really like bitter flavor. The more you eat it the more your palate becomes adjusted and it's a really healthy thing. Uh, There are other plants out there like miner's lettuce which is coming up wild in the woods right now and that's a very mild sweet kind of watery edible most people would enjoy eating and the nettles we are in the thick of nettle season and they grow so fast and you want to pick the younger leaves kind of on the top by plucking the leaf the sting actually is on the underside of it and you can see the little barbs so if you pluck the leaf from the top and don't touch the underside and then fold in the leaves on top of those barbs and squish them around a little bit. You can eat it raw without having to worry about getting stung. 
when you pick nettle, of course, wearing gloves is a must. And that's not necessarily one to do with little kids. We've tried that and there were some tears and <laughs> we, we didn't finish that project at the time. I know when I was pregnant, oh, yeah. I always had iron poor blood. So my midwife had said, drink a lot of nettle tea. But it wasn't until I had already had kids that I realized, oh, we can just pick nettles and use them like spinach. Yeah, nettles, nettles are great. You can use them on a lot of different things. Tea, like Tave said, and that was actually my first introduction to nettles as well. And I really enjoyed the flavor. And gosh, with nettle in the past, I have made nettle pesto, nettle patties. It's like a spinach patty, but instead of the spinach, you have the nettle. We have friends that have made nettle pastas, nettle gnocchi, nettle raviolis. Uh, There's a a lot you can do with nettle. And even just adding it to something that you're stir frying is a really great way of using it. Or in a soup. (laughs) In a soup. Actually, I was going to save that one. But yeah, nettle, nettle soup where basically... You could use it as a substitute for any kind of greens, kale, spinach, and any kind of soup. But you could also make a really nice, thick, blended soup with it. And maybe even it would make sense to try putting some of the dandelion greens in with it, too. That would be really tasty and probably give a lot of really great flavor and a variety of nutrients. I think it would be a great idea. Being a mother and an educator, how do you inspire the next generation to really care about the earth and to want to be sustainable. I think kids already have an empathy for the natural world. We just have conversations about it and foster those conversations. We'll bring it up with a perspective of, well, isn't this nice that that's here? Being respectful of where we step, if we're picking plants or trimming wood for arrow shafts or friction fire kits, if you ask a question, well, how can we do this in a respectful way? Enabling them to just think about it a little bit more in their lives. As they get older, they ask more questions and then they pick up the passion for conservation and the environment. We live in a rural setting and there's logging that happens Mm -hmm. and the kids will comment, I'm really sad that those trees are being cut down. We'll talk about the tree and how long it's been there, what it means to the birds and the environment. And actually, this kind of sad thing happened yesterday. We had these eight ducklings hatch out. I had to leave for the day. We had a hen who was also sitting on eggs, and she had hopped off and gone outside, and I didn't want to lock her out, so I left it open and got home, and this raven was flying out of the barnyard with a little duckling in its mouth, and I went to the nest, and every single duckling was gone. I was devastated, and I felt bad for the mama duck. She had sat on this nest for 35-plus days without any problems. It just happened to be this day. The ravens or the coyotes or bears that might come through every now and then and grab a duck or grab a chicken. We live in their neighborhood. We, you know, we, we live in their backyard. They don't live in my backyard. So I have to remind myself their babies are going to have a good start this spring. It's a sad situation, but it's happened, and it's just concepts that you dialogue with the kids so that they can experience that and be thinking about it as they go through life. As they move through the landscape, it's not just about going hiking or going backpacking. And I think by noticing plants and animals, you build a relationship. And that creates diversity and awareness, I think, for the environment and your world around you. Another really cool thing is that my kids pass on their passion grandparents who might not be as keen as dandelions in their lawn, but now aren't going to put pesticides on their lawn because they want to have that safe space for the kids to play. 
that brings the rings out a little bit further with who you're touching. And I think that every time we have kids and adults who find that passion and connection with what's going on around them in the natural world, they're going to be impassioned to share and conserve and protect and ask what I can do to protect the space that has meant so much to me. It's going to make me start crying. Were you involved in the Trackers comics? Yeah, it's really exciting because we've been doing the live action version Mm -hmm. of what these books are or will be in our camp programs for years and years. So we're trying to capture the excitement that a kid has when they come to a week of camp and they go home and they want that excitement to continue on. So our hope is that they'll be able to take the fictional books or even the guidebooks and you know, really bring their moms and their dads and their grandparents and their siblings into this conversation. I'm helping to write one of the books, and in it, I do talk about real farm life things. You know, what do goats do? How something might behave? How cheese is made? You know, similar to Little House on the Prairie, what inspired me. But if you were a kid reading it, you might say, oh, that's kind of how that's done. And playing the story, I'll be able to do some of those things as well. I love it. That's so so we're going to do one of the comics as radio theater. I will be really excited yeah. to hear that. Thank you so yeah. much, Molly, for coming in and talking yes, to you. us. When are mm-hmm. going to get out of this <laughs> Would you like to be interviewed for our radio show? What's your name? Annie. Great. And how old are you? Four. I eat grass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what have you picked that you think might be good in a soup? Blueberries, raspberries, and huckleberries, and blackberries, salmon berries, ox salads, and miner's lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) Now's the time for Peace, Love, and Soup Theater. Oh, goody. Tracker's Kids, Issue 1, Page 9. The Field Trip. Class, this is stinging nettle. Don't touch. It's poisonous. Actually, you can't touch. Pinch like this, and you won't get stung. Look at that. Steamers saute them, and they lose their sting. You can even make stingy nettle tea. Ooh. Coyote tracks. Let's see where they go. Actually, the track has no claws and an M-shaped back pad. It's a cougar, not a coyote. Cougar? A cougar, not a coyote. You hear it? Hear the call of the dark-eyed junko. Actually, that's a duckless squirrel alarming. Because we're off trail in its territory. We're lost. Actually, we can find our way back pretty easily. Find north. It's lunchtime, so the sun is south of us. North is that way. Okay. Backtrack. We follow cougar tracks in. Let's follow our tracks out. Right. Story mapping. There's the elephant tree. The bus is around the corner. Here we go. Let's get on the bus. Don't trip. Later that day, back at school. Josh and Fiona are in charge of all future field trips. Hmm. I'm going home to make nettle tea. Let's ring the bell. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Soup.
Foraging ethics. Forage only in areas where the plants are plentiful. If there is only one or a few plants, continue on. Don't rob plants of all their leaves and berries. Forage sustainably with an awareness of the greater ecosystem. Leave the plant to grow stronger each year. Be considerate of the role the plants play in the lives of animals nearby. Is this their food you're taking? Do no harm when harvesting. Pick leaves, don't break branches. Move through tall grasses rather than trampling or whacking a path. You are a visitor to the land, not the landlord. Be safe. Don't pick within sight or downhill of roads. Avoid areas of pollution and contaminated runoff. Into the woods. Well, here we are at Kelly Point, Tave, looking for nettles and dandelions. Here we are, out foraging. Oh, look, there's one over there. Hold on a second. Let's double check. Right, Leaves are so. opposite, and then another row opposite the other way. And I see the stingers on I the bottom. This. Pinch like this, and you won't get stung. Let me taste one. Mm. Oh, you're eating one. <laughs> look how brave you are. You're using the method Molly taught us. I know. How does it taste? It tastes fresh. A little bit like watercress, maybe? Oh, okay. But also kind of like a like a hay taste. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You didn't get stung. No. You yeah. just pinch over on each other, pinch the stingers underneath, and then just put it in your mouth. This guy is, looks way different than everything else we're seeing, I see? I don't think that's it. I mean, it has the things oh, on the bottom, Oh, no, this is definitely is not it, because look, it's like it's climbing. That's a climber. Here's some more. Right under the tree. Nice one. Oh, look at him. Oh, yeah. I feel like we're at the farmer's market and we should decide. Oh, yes, this I like, this I don't like. <laughs> There's so much out here. I'm so excited about now, this. Mushrooms. I don't know anything about those. So, guys, we just went on Reddit and found where to look for nettles currently in Portland. And, Thank you, community, for providing the answers. We came right to Kelly Point. Kelly Point, and we didn't know where in Kelly Point. We just walked out, and boom, they're all over. Up, mm -hmm. oh, and here are our dandelions. Should we grab these? Yeah, let's get some of these dandelions, too. Right? Oh, because we want the leaves. That's a nice young one, too. I'm going to taste a little bit of these greens right now. The dandelion greens are definitely more bitter. The ones I got at the farmer's market are really red at the root. Now then, what was Molly saying? We could just eat the flower too? She did. I don't think you can eat the, the stem. stem part oh, got it. it. Yeah. So pull the flower off of the stem. Hmm. Subtle. Kind of a nice little. Like an edible flower. It's delicate. I like this idea of taking the dandelion petals and sprinkling them over the top of the soup as a garnish. It's going to be really pretty with the green of the soup and the yellow of the flower. Definitely. Well, that was super productive. Yeah, who would right? have known? We were able to find everything we were talking about. Well, now that we've foraged for our soup, let's say we go back to your house and cook this out. Yeah, peace, love, and soup is out of the forest and into the kitchen. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Soup. So here we are in the kitchen, and we're going to make our nettle dandelion soup. got our water boiling for the nettles and we are chopping up our onion and dicing our garlic as we wait. You really are a good sous chef. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's a zen relaxation for me as well. Mincing and chopping, getting everything into their little piles. Tave's just digging right into the dandelion, removing the petals from the flower. You want to just explain your process? Well, I just took kind of like when you're a kid, if you're ever out playing where there's clover and you just kind of pick the flower part and pull and you get all the petals. And then at the bottom, there's like this just little bit of nectar, the little juicy sweet parts. And so I'm just pulling that whole chunk of petals out at once and getting rid of all of the green part and not using any stem. So I liked your idea of putting some of the petals right into the soup and cooking them. And then I thought to have it be pretty, I thought it'd be fun we could take and just sprinkle some of the flowers on the top. You know, I have to just while dandelions on my brain. Um, I was talking to my mother the other day and she was like, oh, what are you guys doing this month? And I told her about the dandelion. She goes, you know, my grandmother would, or my grandmother, her mother, would send her to the neighbor's yard to like forage for dandelions when she was a kid. <laughs> we're also taking the greens, these nice long tender leaves. We're just snipping off the bottoms of them, you know, where they got closer to the ground and getting those ready too. We're just going to rinse off our nettles. And then with our water boiled, we're all set to put our nettles in. I'm going to toss these in. Just stir it around and blanch them quickly. This will take out the sting. And then we're just going to snip the stems off and discard the thicker ones. So, Tave, I've been long suffering from knee injury that I got from a moped accident when I was about 16 and my acupuncturist said that old injuries usually come back to haunt us if they haven't been treated correctly. So then online with the stinging nettles I saw that they use it for arthritis and for joint pain. So I'm going to take the stingers and intentionally sting my knee and see if it relieves any of the dull pain that I feel. I love this Dr. Delaney. <laughs> and I'm also starting with a very small nettle because yesterday when I got stung I felt it through the whole day. You too, right? I had just one little patch on the back of my hand and it was odd because I, I didn't even know it at the time. And then later I was like, oh, what's that warm sensation? And it reminded me of that little bit of uh, information that we'd gotten about soldiers purposely stinging themselves to warm themselves. Oh, I can feel it. You can see it all be getting red. Look at it's that. Like, Does it yeah. feel good? Um, I'm glad I went small. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I didn't grab one of those big leaves because yeah, it's just stinging all around. All right, well, we'll check back in on that. We, you know how that goes. You do have insurance. I do have insurance, so if something drastically goes wrong, Tave, it's in my wallet. <laughs> and you can just see it's just lightly boiling there. We're going to just take our nettles out of the pot. So about a half a pound of nettles. Looks like it cooks down like spinach to approximately two cups cooked, and we can just totally touch this now. There's no fear of getting stung. And bonus, we're going to get to use this water as some nettle tea. We're just going to quickly rinse the cooked nettles in a little bit of cold water. And then interestingly enough, the stems, it looks like all of ours are gonna be keepers and we're tasting them and they actually taste just like kale. So on a medium heat, we have the olive oil in our saucepan. We're gonna put these onions in and the garlic. There we go. And just stir those around for a few minutes. Brian, what do you think of these? Ooh, they're almost translucent, perfect. So we'll put those dandelion greens in now. So add in our rice. And we're going to add all eight cups of our vegetable stock. And also, we're going to put in our blanched nettles, which we decided to not even chop. Stir that up really well, and then we're going to bring it to a boil. So it's all boiling, and we're just going to put our dandelion petals in now, saving some out for a garnish. Just turn the burner down to simmer, and cook it for about another 10 to 15 minutes until the rice is tender with it covered. 
while this was simmering, I took some wild mint that's growing near my roses and we mixed it in with our nettle broth and made some iced tea up. And then in addition to that, tell them about what you found at the farmer's market. Oh, right. So I brought the miner's lettuce since we weren't successful finding it in nature yesterday. Miner's lettuce looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book (laughs) with this tall little thing sticking out of it. It looks like a small tree. It is so delicious. It's a cross between like a tiny butter lettuce and a sprout. And we threw together a quick salad with some other herbs you found in your garden, mint and sorrel. And the sorrel has that nice kind of tart apple flavor. All of these things are available um, right now out there in the wild. Everything is simmered, and now we're gonna ladle it into the food processor. Puree it up, and we'll be all set to eat. This is my grandmother's old food processor. It's just a workhorse. Mmm, that looks good. Green goodness. All right, so now we're in the tasting and testing and seeing what we need more of stage of our cooking process. Now, I really like how the rice gives it a creamy yet light sort of dairy-free consistency um, because you do taste the little morsels of rice. um, A hint more salt for me. What do you think? I mean, you and I seem to like a little salt, (laughs) and I always feel like it pulls out the flavor of everything else too. So taste this now. I put a little extra salt in like you thought. Yes, perfect. Can we throw a little bit more lemon juice in yeah. there? Okay, now let's try that. Oh my goodness. It really is nice. Honestly, it's not like it's overpowering. It really doesn't taste like much more at all. So I'm glad we added the juice of one whole lemon. I like it because it's not all just pureed nettle. There are tiny bites of it as well. Mm-hmm. Like little tiny bites of rice and little mm-hmm. tiny bites of nettle. Mm-hmm. It's brothier than I thought it was going to be, and I like that. It's a lighter soup, hearty but light at the same time. So thank you, Colin Rich, for your recipe that we've used. And then we just adjusted it a little bit based on some comments that we'd seen and previous experiences that he and others had had. We have our nettle iced tea, a little forage side salad, and our stinging nettle soup with a garnish of fresh dandelion petals. Not only is it beautiful, but unbelievably tasty. I think Molly's going to be very happy with our work. I think so too. I like that we did some different things with a recipe to make it our own and take advantage of things that we had in season or had foraged. And look at this meal you can make. mm, I'm sorry. I'm going to turn over Tave while I eat some more. Definitely complex flavors with the apple taste from the sorrel and then just that sort of subtle, sort of buttery, bitter taste of these things. What are these called again? The miner's lettuce. Not only is this my new favorite soup, which I feel like I say every month, but Miner's Lettuce, I think, is my new favorite green. Mmm. Mmm. I like it, too. Really a treat. Don't be put off by the idea of foraging. And if foraging isn't for you, check out your nearest farmer's market or even just the produce section in markets that carry local foods. Be adventurous. Be wild. So we're signing off from the kitchen and going back into the studio. We'll see you there. Watch out. You don't burn yourself. Aaron Yankee, Program Director at KBOO, tell us what you think of our soup. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really rich. I really like nettles in general. It's a nice seasonal thing. I go out and forage, and usually I just end up making tea or some kind of greens or spanakopita or something, but I've never had nettle soup. I thought it was fantastic. Any other flavors that are coming out to you? It's kind of peppery. Hmm. I wonder if that's the dandelion. Yeah, the bitterness. You would eat it again? Oh, yeah. I'm going to finish that cup, (laughs) even right now.
kind sir, will you tell us who you are and what you think of our soup? I am Daniel Conway from the KBOO Youth Collective. I think the soup is really good. I can taste some kind of lemon afterwards. It tastes kind of like the chicken noodle soup broth that, like, with the lemon flavor, like your mom used to make when you were sick or something from school. Very interesting since we used vegetable stock. I think this will be a really good vegan alternative for people who maybe haven't been vegan their whole lives and have tasted chicken noodle soup. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We really appreciate it. The Nutritional Benefits of Nettles The infamous stinging nettle ranks as the most common wild herb in temperate regions throughout the world. It is packed with goodness, being rich in vitamin A and C and even protein, as well as containing iron, potassium, calcium, and manganese. Nettles are miraculous in reducing inflammation in our bodies and have been an important food source in times of shortage, notably during the Great Potato Famine in Ireland and during World War II. Historical Fun Fact Roman soldiers employed the nettles for another survival use. They rubbed the fresh plant over the entire surface of their bodies when they were in the bitter winter cold. Although this was painful, it brought blood to the surface of their skin and was actually warming. Since we've included dandelions in the list of plants that we've foraged, here's some information about dandelions. Dandelion greens belong to one of the largest plant families, the sunflower, which includes more than 22,000 species, including daisies and thistles. Folk medicine claims the dandelion plant is a powerful healer used to purify the blood, settle digestion, and prevent piles and gallstones, among other maladies. The fact is, the greens of the humble dandelion provide 535% of the recommended daily value of vitamin K. They may also play a role in fighting Alzheimer's disease by limiting neuron damage in the brain. Hey, Tave, and about the flower, it's an excellent source of antioxidants. It relieves pain from headaches, backaches, or menstrual cramps. It relieves stomach cramps, relieves depression. Hmm. That's incredible. We mm-hmm. are learning so much about weeds. My husband always said, anything can be a weed, it depends on where you find it. So for example, if you planted a bed of tomatoes Mm -hmm. and you find a green bean plant in there, that green bean plant is a weed. A number of years back, I took my mom and my daughters up to the Squamish Lilwak Cultural Center in Whistler, British Columbia. What was it a cultural center for? In the United States, we have different Native American tribes. In Canada, they have different nations. Mm -hmm. So off of their website, their vision is to share their cultural knowledge to inspire understanding and respect among all people. Calling Canada. Josh, are you there? I'm here, Tabe. All right, great. I was wondering if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. My name is Josh Anderson. I am from the Lilwat Nation. I was originally born and raised in the city in Vancouver, B.C., before I was going into grade two. And then my mom moved us home. We recognize the entire traditional territory as Lilwat, but where our village or town is, it's called Mount Curry, a really tight-knit community. How large is your nation? about 2,700 nation members altogether. Tell us a little bit about what you do. We officially opened back in summer of 2008, and I've been here since the beginning. I am currently the cultural delivery leader. 
What I do is I have cultural ambassadors that provide the guest experience and guided tours on a day-to-day basis. I help to manage our cultural performance team that do our traditional drumming and singing. I noticed when we were emailing at the bottom of your sign-off, S-I-K, S-I-K. What does that mean? That is my traditional name, Sheik Sheik, and it means powerful ground. And it was a name that was passed down to me from my late uncle. I believe I was 11. It's um, something that will stay within the family. And is that like a coming of age that children around that age get a traditional name? It's quite different for everyone. My daughter's right away were actually gifted their traditional names from one of our elders because they dreamt of our daughter's names. Quite amazing. Oh, I love it. We watched your introductory video. Could you elaborate on what you find in nature? So, Brian, one of the ones is stinging nettle. We know it well. We actually (laughs) just got finished making a soup with stinging nettle and dandelion greens. Oh, that's awesome. They actually use nettle leaves in a bath. Of course, that puts you in kind of like a stinging nettle soup. Oh, we like that. <laughs> That's one of the ways to cure aches and pains. Sure. He purposely <laughs> stung himself yeah. a few times. <laughs> There's a couple of different solves that we make and create. One of them is Devil's Club. It's the really sharp, prickly bush. They actually have to dig into the land a little bit, and it's more of the root to the Devil's Club. You kind of have to shave it off. We call it 101 uses, good for rashes or abrasions, arthritis. So, Brian, instead of stinging yourself, you could have rubbed sav on your arthritic area. Are there traditional soups that you would eat? We have salmon egg. Mm. We call it kuna in our language. We have land soup. That is like wind-dried salmon soup. We have tzit. That's a deer meat. How did you say that again? Uh, tzit, spelled T-S-I-7. So many different natural soups and stews we get from our animals or Mm -hmm. from our waters. Are you teaching your daughters how to hunt or forage? It's quite amazing because their kuka, their grandma, and their great-grandma, my wife's grandma, both are herbologists within the nation. So they know which plants to go and harvest at a certain time of year to create certain medicines. Like that sob you were talking about. Yeah. And then my mom is more of the craft person. She does a lot of the cedar bark weavings. Like my traditional cedar bark headdress that I wear, or I get spoiled by my mom. I usually get a new one for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of my passions was doing the traditional drumming and singing, something that I picked up right away at a very young age, Mm -hmm. hearing some of my uncles. And then by the time I was eight years old, I was gifted my first hand drum by my uncle. It was handmade, going all the way down to the frame and the hide. And I was like, wow. Have you made a drum yourself? Yes. When I made my first traditional drum, it was back in junior high school. It was quite a small 10-inch drum. I gifted that to my baby sister. So I've made drums for my sisters. I've made for my wife and my daughters. Funny story, my drum that I have now, originally the deer hide that I had was a white-tailed deer. I was starting the process of creating my drums, so I had the hide soaking. I made the mistake of leaving the hide not in an enclosed area, but outside unprotected. So the next day, a bear drug off the hide. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had to get another hide. So I had the hide soaking for a few days. My wife's uncle has given me pointers. Uh, Josh, you will know when the hide is ready, and you can easily pluck the fur off the hide. And when it comes out real easy, that's when you know 
that it's ready. That was the first time I got to defer and deflush a hide on my own. And he's like, make sure that you are absolutely wearing all of the clothes, all the way down to your shoes that you're going to throw away after when you're done. Mm -hmm. My wife, bless her, she came out with a change of clothes and a garbage bag. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the month is sustainability, so you really utilize every portion of the deer, whether it be making a drum, whether it be eating it as a soup, making clothing out of it, and that seems to be the case today as well. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Something that I'm looking forward to this summer is having the ability to do everything from scratch, you know, just like how I did my hand drum, creating the buckskin leather that we wear for our traditional clothing. That process takes a lot longer. Mm. Mm. It was mentioned at the cultural center that you have drums and each person can find their own beat. I'm wondering, is that a metaphor for life as well as music? One of the things with that, Tave, Brian, is that They say that the drumbeat is our heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of our people going into the drum. A lot of the songs have different meaning from celebrations and honoring of certain animals. Like when we do have honored guests, family, friends, you know, that come through the center, we do traditionally a welcome song. That was uh, one of the things from some of our ancestors from years ago when one of our members went to go meet guests and sang them the song to welcome them into our territory. The other part of it is when we are at home, if we're doing celebration, we do share many different types of songs. When we have certain celebrations going on, we could have anywhere between 50 to 100 different drummers and singers Mm. out on the floor at the same time. That's usually when it sounds the most amazing with everyone drumming and singing with each other. A lot of the songs are songs of the land. Uh, We have a bear song. The bear signifies a family member. Going back to the beginning, our people originally were taught a lot from the bear naturally on how the bear did its gathering and how he prepared for hibernation for the long winters that we had. The bear was a great teacher in a way. Well, you did give him your first deer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's all they get. (laughs) We have a deer song that's a little bit more sacred Hmm. in Lilt so it's not shared as often. We have a groundhog song, uh, that song we call the Whistler song. In Whistler, we had the majority of the marmot or Mm. the groundhog. And Josh, so what would be your definition of sustainability? This is going by the definition of my people, Mm -hmm. is that we have one traditional saying, and we call it kulchan, and that means we only take what we need. And that's one of the things that we go by as a nation. It definitely speaks of how our people lived for hundreds of thousands of years and how we took care of the land and in return the land really took care of us. We're really quite fortunate. I have my two baby daughters and just really looking forward to teaching them our way of life. They've done a lot already. They're a part of our Little Wet Language Immersion Program within our school. How many people speak the Little Wet Language still? We probably have about 3% of fluent speakers left, but Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of people that are either moderate or beginner speakers. And that's pretty much the vital piece for our nation. Because realistically, without our traditional language, I would say that technically we wouldn't have a culture. Our world right now needs everybody to really care for the earth. Sort of our future in a way is looking back at our past. How can people follow your good example 
and do so respectfully so that it can be seen as a way of appreciation and saving our earth and not as an appropriation. I feel, you know, I, that is a really good question, Tave. Um, because through tough times, through fighting times, we've had a lot of non-Native friends that stood side by side with us. I know for a lot of people, they are fascinated with the type of work that our people do. You know, being here at the center, we teach everybody on a day-to-day basis about our customs. And that goes all the way down to making buckskin leather medicine bag pouch. We teach people how to make hand drums, dream catchers. You know, all in all, there are a lot of people taking that extra step, learning different customs or arts and crafts. I guess it is up to the individual themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that really does need to take the initiative of trying to do what's right. You know, I think our people would be willing to help. It comes down to individuals wanting to do that and their willingness Mm -hmm. to learn because we know at the end of the day, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be something different. Kind of a difficult question, kind of uh, open-ended, but, you know, we're not really sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for the work you do in the world. Thank you. Lastly, what advice would you have for any of our listeners as far as caring for the earth or living a sustainable life? I would have to say go out and walk on the land and breathe the fresh air of nature. Appreciate and uh, be grateful for the surroundings that you do have. The gifts are naturally there. Everything from the natural waters, the trees that stand tall that provide the fresh air. Enjoy it, respect it, and be thankful that you have the beautiful land. Thank you for that, Josh. Thank you very much, Brian Tave, for the phone call. It's been a privilege talking to you. It felt like I was doing a guided tour of the phone. (laughs) It was a huge treat having you, and I really appreciate your taking the time and the consideration to have this wonderful conversation with us. And I look forward to visiting your center, too. Yeah, yeah, you don't come up. I know we're just up the road from you guys down in Portland. (laughs) All right, guys, take care. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. love and soup audio nourishment for both the heart and the mind thank you for listening to this month's episode about mother earth join us next month for a special podcast in celebration of mothers everywhere so you know how if you look at a cross section of a tree you'll see the rings and each ring signifies a year of the tree's life well there's a german artist his name is Bartholomus trebek who created a record player to record the record of a tree's life, and it translates the rings of the tree into piano music. It's strangely moving, and we're going to share it with you now. Enjoy. You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashi Drake. As usual, you can find out more information at peaceloveandsoup.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. And subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
perfect. Yeah.